This week's episode of Certified comes to you from ACE the OCS. This time of year, everyone is looking for practice tests to make sure they are ready for test day, and we've got an excellent suggestion to help you prepare to ace the exam. ACE the OCS is an updated practice test written for the 2021 exam with questions that feel similar to the actual test regarding their difficulty, question breakdown by body region, and content areas. The author includes several references and detailed explanations behind right and wrong answers for each question to help you learn. Please see the direct Amazon link in our show notes and order your copy today. Again, the name of the book is Ace the OCS, and you can order it directly through Amazon at the link in the show notes. Hi, everyone. Amanda and I are so excited to announce our Tier 3 Patreon membership. Tier 3 members will receive the same benefits as Tier 1 and 2 members, including early access to episodes, bonus episodes, and a monthly newsletter, but will also receive access to group study sessions led by Amanda and I. These study sessions will be held once a month from November through February, and we'll be answering your questions and leading discussions on the topics you want to review. The first study session will be held on Sunday, November 22nd. Don't worry if you can't make the live session. You can submit your questions ahead of time and all Tier 3 members will receive the recording of the session to review. For more details and to sign up for your membership, visit www.patreon.com slash certified OCS prep podcast. This is Certified, the OCS Prep Podcast. I'm Alexis. And I'm Amanda. And we're here to help you prepare for your OCS exam. Hi, everyone. Today, we're going to continue on with our neck pain series. This episode is going to cover our third subgroup in the cervical spine set, um, neck pain with radiating pain. So radiating pain is going to include diagnoses of cervical disc disorder with radiculopathy and spondylosis with radiculopathy. We're going to go over patient presentation, examination, and physical impairment measures that are important for this subcategory. So the patient presentation we're looking for in patients with neck pain with radiating pain, you're going to see upper extremity symptoms. These symptoms may include paresthesias or numbness and or myotome or muscle weakness. The symptoms are going to be increased with a Sperling's test and upper limb tension test. Symptoms should reduce with a neck distraction test. You're going to see limited cervical rotation, typically less than 60 degrees toward the involved side. Like I said, there'll be signs of nerve root compression. And then typically to fall into this category, you want to see those upper extremity symptoms reduced during your evaluation or your first intervention or two. So the hallmark examination measures we want to make sure we put in for this subcategory. We want to go over that upper limb tension test, um, sometimes noted as the median nerve tension test. It's upper limb tension test A sometimes, um, but just note that that's the one that we're biasing. The patient's going to be positioned supine. The therapist is going to passively place the patient into a position to bias the median nerve by applying scapular depression to 90 degrees with the elbow flex. The forearm is going to be supinated. The wrist and fingers are extended. The shoulder is going to be externally or laterally rotated. And then the elbow is going to be extended. That's the series that you want to use to um, put the median nerve on most tension. If that provokes their symptoms, it's considered positive. 
Um, if you're still not getting a positive test, once you've gone through the series of upper extremity measures, you're going to have the patient side bend the neck to the opposite side. That should bring on their symptoms if it's positive. So in more detail, a positive test is noted with a reproduction of the patient's symptoms or a side-to-side -side difference of greater than 10 degrees of elbow or wrist extension. So it's important to make sure that you're checking both sides. Um, ipsilateral side bending may also decrease the patient's symptoms, so bending toward the side that you're tensioning, and that can also be considered a positive test. The Sperling's test. Sperling's test is a test to reduce the neural foramen and reproduce the patient's symptoms to rule in a cervical radiculopathy. The test is not indicated in the patient who has no upper extremity or scapular region symptoms. The patient is going to be seated and actively side bends and rotates slightly to the painful side. The therapist is going to apply a compressive force through the top of the head, which is going to further narrow the foramen. The test is positive when it reproduces the patient's symptoms. So sometimes patients will complain of pressure or they'll complain of some isolated neck pain right at the area. That's not necessarily a positive test. That's just from the test position and you applying pressure. A truly positive test is reproduction of that upper extremity pain. So it's important in the questioning of the patient, your subjective exam, and the responses you're getting from the patient to identify that familiar pain that brought them to therapy. Um, we're also going to look at the distraction test. So this is a test to maximize the neural foramen and decrease or eliminate the patient's symptoms. So this is a pretty easy one. I think we're all familiar with this. The patient's going to be supine. The therapist is going to grasp under the chin um, and the occiput is technically how it's done. Sometimes just the occiput is fine too. Um, the therapist is going to flex the patient's neck to a position of comfort and apply that distraction force. You can perform this with a hold um, or some oscillations. Um, as long as the symptoms are improving, typically you want to go off patient comfort for this. Um, observing active range of motion. Um, it's not necessarily noted if that's seated or supine. I usually check them both just because it's good clinical practice, but you're looking for less than 60 degrees toward the affected side. So if all four of those findings are present, the specificity for uh, cervical radiculopathy is going to be 99 with a positive likelihood ratio of 30, which is really good. If three out of four of those findings are present, the specificity will be 94 with a positive likelihood ratio of six. Keep in mind, it's still relevant to assess joint mobility, posture, scapular strength, you know, things we would normally assess, but it's important to recognize that those measures are not exclusively characteristic of neck pain with radiating or radicular pain. They, therefore, they can't be utilized to place a patient into or out of the subcategory. So again, we're going to talk briefly here about reviewing medical screening. You always want to be asking yourself, you know, this is huge, not only clinically, but as you prepare for case studies in your OCS exam, you always want to be thinking as you're reading these things and seeing patients, is this patient appropriate for PT? Do they need a treatment and a referral to the medical provider? Or am I seeing red flags that make them not appropriate for PT at this time and I'm going to refer them out? So don't lose sight of that. Um, that's going to be very important through your studying. So make sure you're always kind of having that mindset. Interventions for this subgroup. It's important. One note I want to make is it's important to note that a lot of the research in this area of interventions notes short or immediate term, and that's not necessarily a set definition. So 
short and immediate term, or sometimes they use the intermediate term, you know, there's some gray areas to what that actually means definition wise. So just keep that in mind as you're reading articles too. Um, that also holds true of definitions with mobilizing, stretching, and strengthening. Those are usually poorly defined in research. I think very few research articles actually go through specifically what they're doing. So just keep that in mind as you're comparing. So for the acute phase, we really want to focus on exercising, mobilizing, and stabilizing interventions. So manual therapy was not considered more beneficial in the acute phase compared to general strengthening and pain and disability reducing measures. These exercises should be focused on reducing pain, um, not necessarily to improve their physical function. So most of the time in this one, I think a lot of exercises are range of motion, gentle movement, that kind of things to prevent the chronicity. Repeated movements should be considered to promote centralization, but are not necessarily superior to other interventions. And that's noted with a level C evidence. Level B evidence suggests upper quarter nerve mobilizations can reduce pain and disability. So sometimes I found that too, if the patient has a lot of neck pain or they're sort of fearful to move, um, sometimes they are a little more willing to tolerate the nerve mobilizations. It just depends on their presentation. Also with level B evidence, um, mechanical intermittent cervical traction, when it's combined with strengthening and stretching exercises can be beneficial in reducing pain and disability in patients with arm pain. So again, traction is noted in the acute phase as being beneficial when it's combined with other interventions. Um, again, it's not a long-term solution. Typically, I, I have done this some in the clinic. When I do it, I tell the patient, we're going to try this just for a couple visits to see if we can get your pain a little better under control and allow you to tolerate some of the other more advanced exercises better. Um, it's certainly not something that we're doing for visits and visits and visits and visits and visits. Um, the research just isn't there for it. Alexis, do you have anything you want to add on traction? Sometimes I think it gets like a mixed wrap and I want to make sure it's clear what the indications are for it in terms of the evidence. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just, I don't use it in my practice now, but back when I did, I very much took the same approach you did. So I would really explain to patients what the purpose of it is. Um, and a lot of times I just sort of explain, you know, we have to try and get the the nerve symptoms calm down and sometimes traction can help with that, but it's not fixing you. It's not a long-term solution. It's just so that we can get things tolerable enough to do the exercises. Yeah. And I will say too, in my experience, I think it's really important, especially in these acute cases to explain to the patients, the centralization effect. Mm -hmm. um, I think, especially if you're going to do traction, sometimes when it works, um, well, I've had patients, this happened multiple times where patients get up and then their neck hurts really bad. And sometimes it's just being, depending what type of traction unit you have, sometimes it's just being in that position and being strapped in and stuff. It's a little awkward. Um, but sometimes they're truly are centralizing and then their neck is really uncomfortable. So it's important to explain to that, explain that to them before you even start. Yeah, definitely preface before you put them on traction that that could happen. Cause I've had that happen before as well. Um, and then the last intervention in this acute phase for neck pain with radiating pain is low-level laser. So some research suggests that this may provide a benefit in the immediate and intermediate terms for reducing pain and improving function and improving the patient's global perceived effect, which therefore can improve their quality of life. So again, a little bit vague in terms of the level of research, but just know that it's out there as potential in this acute, um, acute phase. And then the chronic phase, there's not really, they don't really discuss a, a subacute phase for this 
um, subpopulation. So the chronic phase of neck pain with radiating pain is really going to focus on a combined approach of exercise, stretching, and strengthening. You can still consider a repeated movement exam, but the research isn't as strong the further away from injury that you get. You want to utilize upper quarter nerve mobilization procedures. Manual therapy is indicated in this subgroup um, for cervical and thoracic mobilizations or manipulations, and that's true when it was compared to the use of mechanical traction in the intermediate term. So manual therapy is not necessarily noted to be superior to some of those exercise interventions, but it is superior over mechanical traction. I typically do some, um, especially if they're really stiff, if it's been chronic. I think clinically it, it usually helps, um, but it always needs to be combined with something. It shouldn't be a whole session of just manual. And then in this um, subpopulation, the chronic phase, you really want to make sure you're incorporating patient education to facilitate those normal activities. We want them to participate in their normal daily and work tasks. We want them to exercise. Those are the things that can really help minimize that chronicity and that um, fear-avoided behavior that pain catastrophizing behavior. Um, again, they mentioned traction again, but the benefit is only short term when it was compared to a control group of no treatment. And it's important to note that there's no benefits noted, noted with a TENS unit um, to reduce pain in the chronic, um, chronic phase in patients with radiating pain. So that kind of overviews these radiating pain folks. Again, I think the most important takeaways from here are what are the hallmark signs you're looking for to rule a patient into this category? And what are the examination measures you need to make sure you hit? Um, other than that, I think the treatments are a little more vague for this category. Um, but if you get them in this category correctly, you should be, should be able to treat them fairly well. Alexis, do you have anything you want to add in this section? Um, no, I think the only thing I just wanted to reiterate when you talked about the different examination measures, um, with the upper limb tension tests, spurlings, distraction, um, and the active range of motion, make sure, first of all, that you're doing all the tests. I think that's super important. Um, and the other thing that's really important, especially with the spurlings and the upper limb tension, is that reproduction of symptoms. I think sometimes when it comes to nerve symptoms, patients all describe things very differently. Um, and so I think it's super important not to just ask, like, does this hurt? Or, you know, is this going on your arm or whatever it might be, but make sure you're really digging into like, is this what brought you in here? And they can definitely tell you that. I mean, most patients can pretty co confidently tell me yes or no. Um, but just make sure that that reproduction of symptoms, in my opinion, is super important to really making sure you are categorizing them correctly. I totally agree with that. And I agree, just to reiterate what Alexis just said about doing all the tests, keep in mind that your, spe your specificities and your likelihood ratio are based off of the performance of all the tests, um, whether it be three positive, four positive, you know, that varies a little bit, but you need to do them all or you're not going to be able to have that same data behind you in terms of putting someone in this category. Yeah, Absolutely. So as always, if there's any questions specifically about this section, please feel free to send us an email, Instagram, whatever's easier for you. And then um, on our next episode, we'll go over the last subgroup of neck pain. Great. Thank you.